Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi williams and this is the $4.6 billion sports business podcast, The Sportacast. What, you didn't want to say the 4.65? You didn't want to be like specific, specific, specific? <laughs> Keep it to one decimal place here. I, I got to tell you, Mr. Novi Williams, I feel like I, I just hung up with you. It's like this story breaks at midnight. You and I are working for an hour plus. We get it out. Wake up. Here we go again. What are we talking about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but I feel it. it it's, it's worth spending much of our time recapping, looking back, looking forward uh, on the most paid for a sports franchise in history. There was some speculation that it was going to be $5 billion plus. I never, ever thought it would get there. Um, we had the, what do I call ahem, report that it was going to be Rob Walton at 4.5. I thought it would go a little bit higher knowing where the other bidders were. So 4.65. Uh, and I'm guessing this thing was announced uh, at the time it was announced because the Broncos were just so darn happy with the result. <laughs> and they weren't going to let anything happen until they were like, this thing's done, you know, agreed upon earlier. Lawyers have to dot and cross. But uh, if you are the trust, if you're Joe Ellis running that trust, uh, 465 is a great result. I thought, Scott, it was announced at, at, at 1145 Eastern just so uh, you and I didn't get to sleep. I thought that was the, uh, the well, they know there. I don't sleep anyway, but you, <laughs> you know, come on folks, you know, I couldn't wait until 10 AM Eastern time. You know, just, you know, let's really ballyhoo this thing. <laughs> exactly. But, but, but yeah, there's, there's tons of ways we can go on this, Scott. I think maybe the, 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 the best place to start, I want to get your thoughts on this is timing wise. We we've known the Broncos were going to sell for years as there were, as there were legal battles between Bolin uh, offspring and also with, with, with former Broncos owners, it took months to hire a banker. It took months to get the first bids in and months to get the data room open. Less than 24 hours after the second round bids are due, they have a handshake agreement at the $4.65 billion with, with Rob Walton. Are you surprised that, that, that things actually seem to take a while for a long time? And then in a, in a very short amount of time, we went from four second round bids to a, to a signed agreement? I'm not at all. Because... If you, if you looked at it in the way it was shaping up, the questions were, how serious is Rob Walton? And as you know, I, I spent some time with, with Rob, and I knew he was serious. I knew he wanted it. You know, they have ties to the Denver area. Clearly, he had the capital to get it done, right? Then you're bringing in Josh Harris, 
and you're bringing in the folks from Clear Lake who had just led the purchase of Chelsea with Todd Bowley. So the question was, there are two questions you had to, you had to answer. One, how serious is Rob Walton? And I knew he was very serious. And then you said, sophisticated investors like Badadik Bali at Clear Lake, like Jose Feliciano, like Josh Harris, by the way, a value investor who has been in a similar situation with the New York Mets. I mean, Chelsea, yeah. Yeah, and, and Chelsea. But when, when Josh was bidding on, on the Mets, it was Steve Cohen as sort of that deep-pocketed bidder. And you just, you know, you know how this process is kind of going to go. You know, no matter all the protestations in the world from Steve that he was unhappy with, with the Wilpons, and he, no, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. You knew it was heart and head. He loved the Mets. He wanted in. You had to figure he was going to be there. So once you got an indication that Rob Walton was serious and he wanted the team, you as one of the other billionaires, but not 60 billion deep, have to say, okay, am I going to go toe-to-toe with Rob in sort of a, a bidding war here? Am I going to play stalking horse for a fight that I cannot win? So you can come in at, let's say the other bids were between four and four, five, somewhere in there, right? Once, once you see where the other bids are and you understand that Rob wants the team, you can close that very quickly. Rob, you know, let's get in a room, four, six, five, and this is yours because the others aren't coming up. They're not going to get into that game with you. That's how, that's how it comes together quickly. And we've talked a bit on this show about how, because this is an estate sale, you have to sell the highest qualified bidder. I'm just shocked that in the 24 hours after these bids are due, that, that they knew this was the highest qualified. Is, are the bankers who are selling the Broncos going back to the other groups and saying, Rob's willing to go to 465, anyone going to get there? No, okay, then we're done with this. What happens, I mean, I assume this is never going to happen, but what happens if the, the Clear Lake Capital guys say, we would have gone to four seven. Uh, I guess I'm curious how in this 24 hour period I, I, we yeah. get to definitely the highest bid that was going to happen. Yeah, does do the representatives for Josh and the representatives for Clear Lake say this is my best and final, like this is it, or do they go back and say, would you like to raise your bid? Like, what's the difference? It's a yeah. it's a 20 second phone call anyway, and the answer is it's best and final, or no, I don't want to raise my bid because you just know that. Rob is going to raise again. You know, it's like you're, you're, he's sitting at the table. He goes, he yeah, can, raise, he can go raise, to infinity. Raise. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> he can just, he can just keep going. And one interesting nugget that we've talked about in the past that, you know, folks in the industry said, boy, I haven't really even thought of that is that this number will affect future purchases. You have now, as we call it in the real estate game, you have a comp, right? This is a marquee franchise. And we know the Seattle Seahawks will be sold by the trust of Paul Allen. Same situation. What you think that where's the starting point now? Four, six, five, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. You're going to start there and say, okay, now can we get that one to five billion and how do we do it? So if you're interested in buying an NFL team, as we know, you know Josh Harris was and the, the guys from Clear Lake and Bowley and Walter, if you know you're interested, the next team on the market is only going higher if you push this up higher. It makes no sense for you to be a stalking horse in a race you cannot win when it will ultimately only hurt you in future endeavors. So let me ask you, Scott, do you think, and this is kind of a paradox, do you think that this team sells for more money if Rob Walton is not a bidder? Do I think it sells for more if Rob is not there? Are the others inclined to bid against to, each, to each bid other? bid against each yeah. other and go up? I see your point, but I say no, 
Okay. Because I do not want to do away with the due diligence. And this is what I think I know. I'm not going to say I know. I don't want to be that arrogant. This is what I think I know about folks like Josh uh, Harris, that he's done the back of the napkin and he knows his number. Yeah. And if it doesn't make sense past that number, he's not going to do it. Again, let's go back to that Mets bidding. So Steve Cohen paid what for the Mets? What was the final number on the Mets? Yeah, I don't know, two you know, point yeah. something. Two, three, whatever. Yeah, whatever it was. The final number on the Mets. I can tell you this. If you know how close Josh was, just to show you, like, is he gonna play that role? You know, you know what Josh thought the Mets were worth? Hmm. Uh, how about a billion dollars less? <laughs> All right. I'm not talking, yeah. I didn't say 50 million. I didn't say a hundred million. How about a billion dollars less. That's two point, what point four, thought. by the way. Okay. So then I'm telling you, you know, from, from all that I've heard, Josh was probably around one, four, one, five. <laughs> so we're talking about a billion dollar difference between what he was paying for the Mets. And that's, again, you, you go to Steve Cohen. It wasn't just a head purchase. This was about heart, right? You know, Steve makes his living. He'll sit all day in front of his terminals, his Bloomberg terminals, looking at data, trying to figure out pricing and what something's worth. The Mets are worth more to Steve Cohen, who grew up nearby going the, you know, and watching and wearing, wearing the uniform and all that, than they were to Josh Harris, who has absolutely no emotional connection. He's just looking to see on paper, what is it worth and what do I think it can be worth in the future? So let, I'll, I'll throw some other numbers at you because I want to get your thoughts on this. The, the last three NFL teams that have sold, the, the, the Buffalo Bills in 2014 sold for $1.4 billion. The uh, Carolina Panthers, four years later, 2018, sold for $2.3 billion. Now the Broncos, $4.65 billion. You can see the hockey stick there of this growth. I also think it's relevant to mention Terry Pagula, who bought the, bought the Bills. He's the 280th richest person in the world. David Tepper, who bought the Panthers, the 105th richest person in the world. Rob Walton, who's buying the Broncos, the 17th richest person in the world. Is this sustainable? If you're the NFL, you're obviously thrilled that you have Rob Walton, one of the richest people in the world, joining the ownership ranks. Who buys the next one? If it seems like we're getting, again, we're, we're just getting to the narrower, narrower cream of the crop financially in the world. It is narrower, but they may have hit the jackpot, the NFL, with the which team is it going to be, hmm. right? Yep. I think you'd have a you know, kind of global arms race if it was the Dallas Cowboys or the New York Giants. Yeah, I, I think you'd kind of have that sort of global arms race of the wealthiest anyway, because though that's beachfront property. But if it is indeed the Seattle Seahawks as the next uh, team, NFL team on the market, and of course, you know, Phil Knight made a play for the Blazers and the trust said it's not for sale, but we do know that Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA said, it. well, we know it'll be for sale at some point, right? That was the wishes of, of the Paul Allen uh, trust. So we know these assets are going to be on the market. And I think we're going to have a very similar situation where I'm glad you have all your stats of richest people in the world. Uh, up to minute, where's Jeff Bezos? Higher. <laughs> yeah. Higher than Rob Walton and, and certainly yeah, 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 higher yeah. Than, uh, than, than Steve Ballmer. Yeah. So I think we know and the world knows that Jeff Bezos is very interested in an NFL team whether it be the uh, Washington Commanders uh, or Seattle Seahawks. And if Jeff is there and we've got a floor of 4.65, I mean, do I think it's going to, let's, you know, almost double 4.6? I think you're going to $9 billion. Maybe if it's five years from now, which nobody expects, 
you know, it also a matter of timing. When do we have two more media contracts in there? Do we have the NFL sale of some of the media assets and we see what's there? Do we have the NFL expanding internationally in some way that we don't see yet? Do we see the NFL carving out another uh, you know, billion-dollar property out of some existing inventory? I, I don't know. We have to see what else is created in the time in between now and when that sale occurs. More time will mean more money because the one thing that the NFL is really good at is figuring out how to extract more dollars, even if they just have to keep existing inventory and carve it up differently. But we all know that they are also looking at sort of direct-to-consumer. So in, in my estimation, that yet yeah, the number will continue to go up. How high, how fast depends on the time. We just we just don't know. And the timing on this deal, uh, really great for the NFL and great for the Broncos, that the NFL is no longer the political football that it was during the during the the, the 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 Trump presidency the pandemic seems to be in the rearview mirror from a from a major financial impact on the league there's a 10-year labor piece there's 115 billion dollars of, of TV deals kicking in a lot that really lined up well with the Broncos here Scott you've talked on the show a lot about having a runway of interested buyers in a lot of leagues that people can turn to after David Tepper bought the Panthers there were some question marks there. It wasn't like there was a vibrant race there with a lot of different groups. You could easily argue now that b- between Josh Harris, who, who clearly has money and is interested in owning an NFL team, with, with, with Badadig Bali and Jose Feliciano, who are have a lot of money and are clearly interested in beefing up their sports portfolio, even the Ishbia brothers, Matt and Justin, the other final bidders here for the Broncos, it, it seems almost like as even though valuations have gone higher, the runway of potential buyers for the NFL might be a little bit brighter now than it was back when Tepper bought the Panthers in 2018. Yeah, let me tell you something about that runway. One, it's crowded, and that's for all sports. One, it's crowded, and two, it is littered with people whose names we have not heard yet. Then all of a sudden they emerge, and you're like, wait, who? And you have to go look up, wait, what do they do? And yeah, there, there are people that we, we do not talk about regularly as possible bidders that are out there. Yeah, that's just the way that these things develop. And we should also discuss, by the way, a name prominently displayed in the release announcing the agreement was Melody Hobson, right? Mm-hmm. You know, co- co-founder of Aerial Investments. Um, I, I, I don't want to diminish and just say, I don't say this as she is wife of, but it is interesting to note that she is married to George Lucas of Star Wars fame. And by the way, satisfies the desire for the NFL to introduce people of color into the ownership ranks. You have a black woman in the ownership group of the Denver Broncos. Didn't see Melody Hobson coming. Didn't didn't know. Um, And by the way, Rob Walton didn't need to, right? He had the capital. He was going to be the high bidder. But really, really smart to bring in, by the way, from uh, what do I always say about limited partners these days? It's not enough just to have money. You need to come with some sort of know-how that can help the ownership group uh, make things happen. And Melody Hobson is, you know, this, we're talking heavyweight. Like she, the, she's the chairwoman of, of Starbucks. She's a director Starbucks, of J.P. Morgan right. Chase. Jason Wright, who's the president of the Commanders, when the news came out last night, tweeted, called her a business icon. So, so a yes. lot of people who know her are, 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 are very happy for her and also 
uh, very aware of the, the things she's going to bring to the Waltons in this ownership. Now, the, although, let us remember, the last time Starbucks was involved in a professional sports <laughs> ownership, or even Starbucks tangential, was Harold Schultz, you know, who, who said, Howard, no, yeah. no, yeah, you know, I'm going to get a new arena, we're going to keep the Sonics in, in Seattle, and then all of a sudden comes this group from Oklahoma City. By the way, one of the funniest things ever one of the member, one of the key guys in the, I, I really don't remember whether it was Clay or one, one of the principals uh, in the ownership group handed me his card one time and I, I, I had to chuckle. It was a Sonics logo with a, an Oklahoma City P.O. box. That's awesome. And, yeah, and that's I, I think it was Clay Bennett. And I was like, Clay, Come can on. you even pretend? <laughs> like, can you even, like, you, you can't, you couldn't get a P.O. box in Seattle? This says, you know, your, your, your Sonic's business card says Oklahoma City. Come on. You, you got to be better than that. But anyway. A, um, another thing I've been thinking about in, in this process is, is every time we report on a new owner and in, in, in insert your sport here, you always see the fans jumping in. Oh, what does it mean that we now have a richer owner than, than we had before? It's interesting to me that in the NFL having one of the richest people in the world be an owner is actually maybe not as big an advantage, certainly not as big an advantage as you would have seen with Chelsea, for example, or with major yes. league baseball as another example, the in NFL, a hard the, cap world. It means less hard cap and salary floor. Just because you have the 17th richest person in the world as your owner, you're going to spend pretty much the same amount that the, the, the Cincinnati Bengals are spending, right? That's just the way it works. So I would imagine Denver Bronco fans are going to see maybe some stadium improvements, maybe a new stadium at some point that the, the coach might get paid more. There's certainly going to be some ways in which the Walton family and the Penner family and, 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 and Melody Hobson can flex the money that they have. But in, in the main way, in terms of compensating players on the pitch or on the field, sorry. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't work out the way that it does in other sports. Well, I want to see like in Walmarts around the country now, like I would assume if I walk into a Walmart where I am, you're going to see Jets and Giants gear. <laughs> like I'm very curious to see now if I've got Russell Wilson Broncos stuff is on the front run. You got to fight and pay for valuable shelf space, right? You're, now it's going to be nothing but Broncos as soon as you walk in. Broncos this, Broncos that right in front. Yeah, but I agree with you where you're going to see the difference here is in the stadium. I, my, my guess would be that there's an attractive real estate play here and yeah, you don't have to take public money, although the Pakulas probably have everybody around the country going, wow, how'd you do that? Like, can I, <laughs> can I have almost a billion dollars for my stadium? Can, can the taxpayers help me out? Uh, it would be a hard sell for Rob Walton to take uh, taxpayers of Colorado and Denver to, to help him out. But he can build a stadium that much like the new Yankee Stadium, which I call the cash register, much like AT&T in Dallas, that will be just a, a, a cash machine, not only on game days, but for other events, for an attraction, for other things. For I mean, I still marvel when you go to Dallas and you see people taking the tours, right? I don't even know how much the tours cost these days, but they want a tour stadium. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I could see that happening in Denver as well. One last thing here, Scott, the, the way I understand it right now, this bid group is Walton, his family, and Melody Hobson. There's no other... LPs. We've talked a bit about John Elway. We've talked a bit about Peyton Manning. Walk us through the process now. We have a 90-day period where the NFL is going to rubber stamp approve Rob Walton as the next owner of the Broncos. Is there room for other people to join? Have they had those conversations? What exactly, what can we expect and maybe changes to this ownership group moving forward? The question is, does Rob and the family feel 
any need whatsoever to what they call syndicate. Yeah. Do they want to bring in other partners? Now, anything you do in Denver, and this could be you know new practice facility, this could be any promotion, whatever it may be, Broncos related. It's a very very popular team, and certainly Peyton Manning is you know the the Mount Rushmore popular for the franchise, right? He helps, right? He helps. Uh, is, is he it, as it, useful now? I mean, he's obviously helpful, I think, in in the process in some ways, right? Is he as useful well, after you have? The I, team? I don't think he actually. I don't think he was that helpful in this process because he, he money wasn't. dictated, yeah. right? Yeah, there was no need, right? That that's why I found it interesting that Magic Johnson aligned himself with Josh Harris ahead of time. That yeah. may have been Josh trying to say, "Hey, look, I'm bringing you know a, a minority candidate that'll be part of ownership, like the NFL will like that." Um, so. But this was about the dollars and cents. Now it's about operation. Now it's about what are we doing with the franchise? How are we relating, you know, new owner to the fan base? Uh, And certainly having Peyton Manning around would help in any endeavor. Hmm. The question is, does he get a discount because he's Peyton Manning? Right. Or you want X percent? Well, let's just, you know, let's just do the math. You got to pay full freight um, because we don't need your money. But what, again, in that LP world, what else, what synergies, what strategy, what do you bring? Uh, Who would I bring in? You know, who? I don't know. I'm thinking if you're going to be doing new stadium, whatever, little real estate expertise, right? Mm. You know, Stan Kroenke just went through this. You you know, he he can, maybe he can help um, keeping it all in the family. You know, he can help and advise, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're bringing somebody associated with real estate. Maybe you bring somebody associated. Where's the NFL going? Technology. Right, I I don't know. International, maybe you bring in an LP from somewhere else in the world. You know, where, where do you want the Broncos to be popular? You know, that's just me guessing. Rob certainly does not need to do that. Is there somebody with a value add? That's the question. Yeah, and and, and I mentioned John Elway in there. I'm sure you saw this. You told that story. I think last week on the podcast about. Larry Ellison and 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 not going a little bit higher in bidding for the the Golden State Warriors in a, a decision that has cost John, him financially. John has got like and he must have been there. He's just like waiting for the number because he, he knew people were going to be talking about the chance that he he had the opportunity to buy in. He didn't do it, and now look at this number. That's where you're headed. Twenty percent right? of the Broncos in 1998 at a way smaller valuation, uh, and, and and decided not to. Uh, an all time tough. Be- this is like. The, P- the early Facebook employees that took uh, cash instead of stock options is Whoops. essentially the way that the way that works out. Yep. All right. Speaking of difficult, let's just pivot for uh, for one one more topic, and that's live versus the PGA. Like, all right, now I'm looking at names. Right, I- I've got Phil Mickelson, Patrick Reed, Bryson DeChambeau, Sergio Garcia, Dustin Johnson, Ricky Fowler, and by the way, and then I'll let you take it from here because I know you love this topic. The USGA said, yeah, you can play in the U.S. Open. It doesn't matter that you're not on the PGA Tour. You can come play in the U.S. Open. We welcome everybody, even folks that have sort of moved over the live tour. This is setting up to be a a bad situation for the PGA Tour. It is running away from the PGA Tour right now, Scott. We we mentioned last week that Dustin Johnson's inclusion here, I'm sure, was going to peak up interest from a lot of people who were thinking, oh, what if I do the same thing? The fact that all these guys, you mentioned DeChambeau, Reed, Fowler, newcomers who have essentially seen the way the reaction has gone over the past week and and decided to jump in late. The fact that all these guys are joining. And again, the fact that it does at least appear for now 
that these athletes can play in this in this Saudi-backed circuit and also compete in the biggest PGA t- or, or events in, in, in the U.S., which are the four majors. The fact that that seems to be the case here puts the PGA in a really difficult position, Scott. And I know I've I've talked on the show previously about how I, I thought the PGA had to act fast and, and act pretty deliberate in what they do. I'm not even sure what the right answer is he, here. It, it seems as though the ability to punish doesn't even seem that strong at this point. I mean, it, it seems like it's running away very quickly that these athletes have been asked in a few different ways to, to answer for the fact that they're, that they're taking money from uh, the Saudi Arabian government, a government that is obviously some, some well-documented. Did you see the violations. video? Did you see the video of the Q and a, would you play if uh, the Vladimir Putin <laughs> open and would you have played the South Africa of apartheid? And they finally, I, I, again, I don't remember which, which players it was, but they were just like, I don't need to answer that. Like, forget the hypotheticals. I don't need to answer. It's that. true. And in some ways, I'm obviously of two, of two minds because it, it's certainly kind of sleazy what, what's going on here. But I, I do not expect golfers to have the right answers to this or to be in, in some ways held accountable for a lot of this stuff. But I do also, by that same coin, just wish that these golfers would be more transparent with why they're doing this. It's just about the money. A ton of money. It's just the money. Play less, make more. This idea that golf has the ability to heal things around the world and it can make a great impact in new communities. All that's none of that is real, right? It's it, it is just about the fact that these tournaments have 24, 25 million dollar prize purses, and the majors, the biggest tournaments that the PGA Tour has to offer, have half of that. I mean, I wish they were at least a little bit more transparent about why they're all sitting there. All right, let's have some fun with an ending, by the way. Our folks, uh, our friends at Variety wrote about Brad Pitt. He's got a Formula One movie. Now, if I had closed my eyes and you said to me, okay, where is the Brad Pitt Formula One movie going to be shown? You and I would have absolutely, at the same time, ready? Three, two, one, Netflix. Netflix. (laughs) You didn't do it on one. Maybe a little delay. Netflix. No, it's on Apple. All right, so, you know, uh, I, I don't know why it ended up on Apple and not Netflix at a time when when F1 is negotiating rights, by the way, it's actual broadcast rights. Everybody interested. Let me tell you who's attached to it, though. You ready for this? Producers, Jerry Bruckheimer and Lewis Hamilton, the driver. Awesome. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to show my ignorance here in Hollywood. The director, Joseph Kosinski. Did you did you n- ever hear that? Uh, I, I, I don't. But you mentioned to me before that he's the Top Gun Maverick uh, director, right? Yeah, Top Gun Maverick. Yeah director. So I assume a lot of people are going to see it. More publicity for F1. Do you want to share, by the way, your story that you told in the office of uh, of you seeing going to the theater and seeing Top Gun Maverick? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we did. My, my partner and I went to see Top Gun in a, in a sold-out theater in New York last Friday night. And it, it's everything you want a, a blockbuster to be. It's light and fluffy and it appropriately makes fun of the original Top Gun, which is a movie that that I've seen many, many times. But at one point in the middle of the movie, Tom Cruise, I won't give any spoilers away, but but he does something that is very, you know, of, of the Top Gun era. But very Tom Cruise. Very Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah. And my partner stands up and raises her hand in the air and yells and starts clapping and the whole audience starts clapping. <laughs> and for the rest of the movie, every time something big happened in the movie, everybody was just clapping along to it. It, it became like a very fun, almost interactive experience. Uh, so yes, all this to say that the, the Top Gun movie is very fun for people who liked the first one. You're going to like the second one, and if you're lucky to go to a theater where there's people that are getting kind of rowdy, it makes for a very fun experience. Go enjoy the Rocky Horror. She can stand up and do a whole lot of fun stuff there too. All right, he is Evan Novi Williams on the Twitter Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. Our producer is Matt Whitehurst. Thank you very much, Matt, for everything. Our digital media editor is Core Veltman. 
She really likes it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will soon become the Sportico Media Network. 